Hello and welcome to our playlist. I'm Ruth Silka and I am so glad that you are here and I am so honored to be with you today. As we continue in our freedom series, we will be looking at what scripture says about freedom from isolation. Now this topic seems quite fitting as we are slowly getting back to a quote unquote normal life after so many months of isolation and separation. My prayer for us all today is that we will walk away encouraged, challenged, and grateful for the ways the Lord has built us for community and for the community that he has blessed us with. I just want to pause for a second and pray for us as we start to dive into scripture this morning. Father God, I thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for just the ways that you're going to challenge us today. God, I pray that you would equip me, that you would use me, that you would just give me the words to say. And God, I pray that you would get all of the honor and the glory. In your name I pray, amen. So if you watched last Sunday, you got to hear my dad preach. And I have to say, as a pastor's kid, there's something that is a bit intimidating about following your dad's sermon. No pressure, right? But last week, my dad took you back to a sunny June day in the 70s. And this morning, I would like to invite you back with me to my fourth grade Sunday school class, known as FBI, or Faith Builders Incorporated, (laughs) on a Sunday morning in March of 1994. Just to set the stage for you a little bit, I had on a very late 80s, early 90s blue dress with total 1980s hair. We're talking high and full of lots of hairspray. I was 10, and I had just moved to San Jose from Minnesota, the land which at that time, in that decade, was about five to 10 years behind in fashion, hence the 80s hair. I was the new kid at church, and I wasn't just a new kid that was going to get to fly under the radar. I was the new pastor's kid. I remember standing in the hallway waiting to go inside my uh, Sunday school classroom, and I felt everything from fear to worry to excitement and everything in between. But most of all, I remember being envious of my twin brothers who had just been dropped off at the classroom next door together while I was being walked to the next classroom all alone. As I walked into the room, I remember feeling overwhelmed as I was introduced to one kid after another, one of whom was actually Kyle, my husband. It was a strange feeling walking into a room where everyone knew me. They knew my name. They knew where I was from. They knew who my family was. And some even knew things that I liked. But the one thing I remember most of all from that day was feeling incredibly alone. Everyone knew me, and I knew no one. The room was full of kind and welcoming people who had gone out of their way to make me feel special. But honestly, how I felt was isolated and alone. 
Now, this isolation didn't last for long. Kids are wonderful like that. Because by the time Sunday school was over, I walked away with a few new friends and an excitement to come back again the following week. You see, we are built for community. And even at the young age of 10, I could see that community would help the loneliness and the isolation go away. But I had to be willing to put myself out there so community could be built. Some of the friendships that were started in that room ended up being lifelong influential friendships. And hey, I even found my husband in that room. Now, while kids can sometimes easily make friends, I don't think it discounts the community built between people with the common bond of seeking Jesus. In fact, I think we could all learn a lesson or two by watching kids build their community, and fight against isolation. But let's take a look at what Scripture says about community and the freedom we have from isolation. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 19. Therefore, okay, so this very first word of verse 19 gives us a clue that we need to look back to see what the verses before are saying so we have a full understanding of the context. The therefore is there for a reason. So let's do just that. Hebrews 10 begins with an explanation of Jesus' sacrifice once for all. The author of Hebrews, whom we don't 100% know for sure who wrote the book, it's been suggested it was possibly Paul or Luke or Barnabas or others, but honestly, that's not the point. Because the book of Hebrews was ultimately written through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and that is what counts. Hebrews 10 begins with comparing Jesus' finished work on the cross how he, his sacrifice, him giving up his life for us and defeating death by rising again made us completely right before God the Father. Jesus took our place, took on our sin, and because of what he did on the cross, the former way of atoning for sin through animal sacrifice was no longer needed. Let's jump up a few verses to Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. This is what it says. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. These verses are telling us that because of Jesus' work on the cross, we are made righteous, we are forgiven, and we are set free from the bondage of sin. We are no longer isolated in our sin and separated from our creator. We are in union with him, in relationship with him, and we are united with him in his loving grace. So let's get back to verse 19 now. And here's Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full, the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, so that was a lot of information in just five verses. So let's break it down a little bit and go back again so we have the context and understanding about what we just read and what will be coming in the next verses. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The most holy place was in the temple and was sealed for view with a very thick curtain. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place. And he only did so once a year on the Day of Atonement, when he would offer the sacrifice for the nation's sins. But Jesus' death removed the curtain. We read about the curtain being torn in two in three of the four gospel accounts of Jesus' death. I want us to look at Matthew 27 to, for this account of the curtain being torn. We're going to look at verses 50 through 54. And it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs were open. The bodies of the holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Jesus' obedient submission to God the Father broke open the way for each of us to have an intimate and personal relationship with him, where we can approach him any second of any day on our own to confess, repent, present our requests, and ultimately to one day receive the promised gift of salvation and eternal life in his presence. What a gift. Okay, so let's go back to Hebrews. We're going to pick back up again in verse 20 as we continue to break this down. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water we can come before the almighty, most holy God with sincere and honest hearts. I want us to pause for a second as we are continuing to break these verses down and think about what isolation is. We're looking at freedom from isolation, and I think we need to have a good understanding of what isolation is. 
By definition, isolation is the process or fact of isolating or being isolated. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like that definition helps us a ton. <laughs> I thought you weren't supposed to define a word with the word. So let's look at isolate. Isolate means to be or remain alone or apart from others. Alone. Isolation means we are alone. Alone in our thoughts or alone in our physical space. But the truth of the matter is that we are never alone. If you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you have the promised Holy Spirit living in you. You are never alone. But the enemy, Satan, wants us to believe that we are alone, that we have to hide in our sin, in our shame, and in our guilt. Last week, we looked at what it means to have freedom from guilt and shame. We talked about how guilt says, I did something wrong, and it focuses on behavior, while shame says, Something is wrong with me, and it's focusing on self. Guilt should lead us to freedom, to repentance, to coming before the Lord with the full assurance that faith brings, just like we just read in verse 22. Shame, on the other hand, can lead to isolation. When we allow the lies of shame to build in our hearts and in our minds, we can begin to lose sight of grace. We forget to do what Hebrews 10, 23 says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. The Lord already knows our hearts. We cannot hide anything from him but we can find rest and peace in the fact that our sin does not isolate us from God. It should not make us hide in shame. We can come before our creator with full honesty. Honesty and sincerity about how we're feeling, about what we are struggling with, or about what we are fearful of. We get to lay it all at his feet with full assurance that he cares, he knows what is best, and he can be fully trusted. Now, the enemy wants to keep us isolated. He wants us to believe the lie that we can't sincerely come before the Lord with all of our flaws and all of our sin. The enemy wants us to hide in the dark, not allowing the light of Christ to shine through everything that Jesus died for, every sin, past, present, and future. We must stand firm and remind ourselves of the confidence we have in Christ, of the fellowship we have with him, because we have been made clean. We are cl cleansed from a guilty conscience because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, not because of anything we did, can do, or ever will do. Now, sometimes we isolate ourselves from the Lord by trying to run or to distract ourselves. And this running can look like anything from a full calendar to binge-watching our favorite show on Netflix 
to filling our house or our car with music so it doesn't have to be silent, to projects, to and anything in between. It's whatever fills our minds and our hearts from being able to hear his still, soft voice, from, from time and his word and prayer. What's taking up the space so we don't have time to do that? It's whatever's distracting us from calming our hearts enough to hear his conviction, his encouragement, and his truth. Sometimes isolation is of our own choosing. Whether that choice is a conscious one or not, we often walk into and stay in isolation because we think it will be easier. The truth is we are called to community. We are called to the truth we read in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let's look at those verses. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This past year plus, we were forced into isolation. And for our generation, this was a new struggle, a new obstacle, and something that forced us to get creative with how to stay connected. While church on YouTube was and is hard, I am incredibly grateful for technology that did allow us to stay connected. But we have got to call it for what it was. 2020 and 20 parts of 2021 were year, a year of isolation. 2020 was a year of isolation and it was hard. I missed my friends like never before. I missed corporate worship and hugging people and being taught truth from a real life person and not from someone behind a camera. And as someone who has had the privilege and honor of teaching during our time that we had apart, and even now, let me just say, teaching to a camera is a challenge. And I miss your faces and your head nods. <clears throat> While we can be grateful for technology that kept us somewhat connected, we shouldn't gloss over the fact that months and months of isolation was really hard. We were not built for isolation. We were built for community. Hebrews is clear about this. We are called to spur one another on, to do life together, to be honest and real and vulnerable with one another. And we are called to meet together, to gather for corporate times of worship. We are the body of Christ and we need each other. And as the body of Christ, we are called to reflect his light. And his light overcomes the darkness of isolation. Isolation is not a new issue or a pandemic issue. It is a heart issue. And Jesus offers us freedom from isolation through his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. So I would challenge us to think about this question. 
What sin is causing us to run into isolation and not community? What lies are we believing that keep us in the darkness instead of walking in the light and freedom found in Jesus? Last Sunday, we looked at 1 John 1, 5, 2 through 2, and I think it just fits so perfectly in again today. And I think the more we hear a verse, the better. So let's read 1 John 1, 5, 2 through 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid the price. He took our place so that we could walk in the light, so that we could enjoy right relationship with God, and so we could have a God-honoring, we could have God-honoring fellowship with one another. This is why we are built for community to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to point one another to Jesus, and ultimately to give him all the glory for his work in our lives. Let's take a look. We're going to move to a new book now at what godly community looks like. We're going to take a look in Acts 2, and we'll look through verses 42 through 47. Now, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, Luke, the author, has just written about Pentecost and the believers receiving the promised Holy Spirit. Then he talks about how Peter addresses the crowd, telling them to repent and be baptized. And we read in verse 41 that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Oh, so incredible. So let's pick up the passage in verse 42, now that we have a little bit of the context of what's come before. Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
What a beautiful picture of godly community. They had everything in common. They generously gave of their possessions and gave to those in need. They broke bread together and praised God together. They listened to the apostles' teaching and they prayed together. They were in fellowship with one another. And they were in awe at how God was moving among them. Our culture today breeds isolation. We can literally get anything we want, either delivered to our door or streamed through some type of a device. Our culture has shifted from knowing every neighbor on our street and all their business to posting complaints and nasty things on the next door app. We live in a me culture, but as believers, we are called to a we culture. Isolation puts focus on ourselves. Community puts focus on others. And ultimately, it puts the focus on Jesus. So how do we invest in community? Where do we find this freedom from isolation? I think we need to follow through on some of the one another commands we read in scripture. I want to give us a few examples. We're going to walk through several different uh, verses right now. The first is Galatians 6.2, uh, and it says this, carry each other's burdens or carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are to care about one another's burdens we need to be living in community with one another so we can tenderly and lovingly call out sin in each other's lives. We need to care about the burdens that we each carry and how we can point one another to the truth. <clears throat> Romans 12.10 tells us this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We need to love one another well, to humbly put others above ourselves. We need to love those people who are hard to love, not just the people who are easy to love. And I would just challenge us, okay, are we having trouble loving somebody? I'd encourage you, start to pray for that person. Or better yet, do something to serve that person while you're praying for them. Put their needs above your own and see how your heart begins to change and soften towards them. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We need to encourage one another Build one another up and point one another to truth. We just read about this in Hebrews. Spurring each other on is what it has encouraged us to do. So let's not allow the busyness of life ramping back up again to distract us from missing an opportunity to encourage someone with words or deeds. The pandemic gave us the gift of slowing down 
Let's make sure we don't let life get in the way of encouragement and spurring one another on towards Jesus. We have to be intentional in building our community, be intentional in the building up of our community. We need to put things on our calendars. We need to set up times to meet with people. We need to be intentional about inviting somebody over for dinner or talking to somebody after church. We need to be intentional. Even if that means like, hey, come to my house, I'm going to order a Costco pizza. They're cheap and they're good. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it needs to be intentional. We have to make time for community because when we do, it not only blesses others, it blesses us and it encourages us and it reminds us that we are not alone. There is a bond that we have as believers and it is a bond we should never and should not take for granted. I recently had the blessing of experiencing some intentional community. For the past two years, which somehow miraculously worked out around a pandemic, God is very good in that, I've gone on a, a girl's trip with two of my best friends. And we, for both of these trips, had spent months planning and saving and preparing for the trip, which if I'm being totally honest, I'm not really the, the planner of it. I don't love that, but my other friends are. So I just show up and have fun. It's my perfect kind of trip. But while I had a blast exploring Chicago, that's where we went this year, just a few weeks ago, the most memorable part for me was not the incredible skyline of the city of Chicago. It was the vulnerability in our conversations. Now, there are years and years of investment between the three of us. We have walked alongside one another through really hard times, really fun times, and the just normal lifetimes as well. But trust has been built. Transparency has been welcomed. And vulnerability has been cherished as we have spurred one another on towards Jesus and pointed each other to the truth found in Scripture and prayed for one another. I left that trip feeling so grateful for the community God has blessed me with. But that community didn't just happen. It took time. It took effort. It took intentionality. And it put, took a willingness to put ourselves out there. And it's really taken a lot more intentionality because one of my friends lives 2,000 miles away. But God has been so gracious to allow us to continue to be able to encourage and spur one another on in spite of thousands of miles between us. Community displaces isolation. And we can find freedom from isolation through the common bond of Jesus and the gift of salvation through his life, his death, and his resurrection. As I was studying for this sermon, I read a bunch of different articles and some different books, and I came across this quote on the Gospel Coalition's website. They have different blog posts and stuff you can read. And um, a pastor named David Lepresti wrote this. Um, it was in 2014, so it's a few, several years old now. But 
It definitely still fits and was very encouraging to me. And it says this, the world around us longs for community and the false sense of connectedness created by Twitter and Facebook, we could throw in Instagram these days, right? Won't fill the void. We need robust life on life in the trenches community. God didn't merely text us after all. He came. He walked with us, wept with us, rejoiced with us, and loved us in spite of ourselves. If we're embodying this self-giving posture in our churches, then it'll draw the lonely world to us like a magnet. My prayer for us, COV, is that our community would be a magnet to our spheres of influences. Not because we're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. We should care enough about the people around us to want to share what he has done in our lives, to be a light and to share the good news of the gospel. But that takes effort and intentionality to also build community outside of our awesome community that we have as believers. We need to care about building community outside of the church as well. In recent years, and especially even in the recent months, uh, for my family, this has looked like being involved in Little League baseball. My son, Parker, plays Little League, and Kyle, Kyle, my husband, has coached his teams or helped to coach his teams for years now. And it's been so awesome to watch God just open up some doors for us to really get to know the other coaches and the other families that were on uh, Parker's baseball team. I was so sad that the season has come to an end because I really enjoyed and have enjoyed getting to know these people. But it's taken intentionality. It's taken a willingness for me to put myself out there. There was several other moms that were all on the team and they've known each other for years. I've known several of them for years, but not well. But a few weeks ago, they invited me to come and get some lunch before one of the baseball games. I could easily said no because I don't know them very well. I was a little bit, uh, not uncomfortable, but somewhat kind of nervous about how it was going to go. But I went anyway. And it was this incredible opportunity to get to know them. I asked questions. They asked questions of me. And we started to slowly build some trust and some community. And I'm praying that God will allow us to have opportunities to continue to invest in those relationships in hopes that we can just be a light for Jesus. I would encourage you to take some time this week to pray about and think about what things in your life might be drawing you towards isolation. Are there some unconfessed sins in your life that you want to keep secret or hidden? I would encourage you confess, repent, and find accountability. Find a trusted friend or a mentor who you can be honest with and real with and who they can in turn be honest and real with you and ask them to hold you accountable. 
Share what's really going on and ask them to pray over you, to pray for you and alongside of you as you seek forgiveness and rely on God's strength to overcome that sin or temptation. Have you been throwing yourself a pity party and not engaging in the body of Christ? Have you been waiting for somebody to come and engage you? I would challenge you, be the initiator. Invite someone over if you feel comfortable with that and feel like you can do it safely. Or invite somebody to lunch after church or some other time. Get, ask them to coffee. Get connected in a community group. Go up to someone that you don't know when you're here at church next time and introduce yourself. Talk to them. Be a good question asker. Don't just talk about yourself, but be willing to take the first step. Sign up to serve. Take some steps to make COV your church by getting involved and investing in others. I also want to challenge us to think through, are there any lies that we're believing? Ask the Lord to reveal his truth in your heart, to reveal those lies of isolation and spend time in God's word. We have to know the truth of the scriptures, what is found in this book, so we can combat against the lies. I would encourage you to reach out to a friend for prayer. If you are struggling, if you are feeling alone, don't just wait for people to reach out to you. Be the one that reaches out first. Ask for prayer. Because I know the times that I have done so in my life have made such a huge impact and reminded me that I am not alone. And reminded me that I'm not, also not the only one that struggles. It's such a gift to pray for people. Let's not rob others of that opportunity because we want to stay in isolation. We need to be intentional. We need to initiate. We need to be at church on a consistent basis. We need to get plugged in to put ourselves out there. And most of all, we need to be willing to genuinely love others with the love of Christ. Not in our own power, but through his power. May we build community with a genuine childlike approach of care, acceptance, and willingness to put ourselves out there. Kind of like what happened in my fourth grade Sunday school class. May we not lose sight, church, of what Jesus did for us on the cross. May the truth of the gospel ever be on our hearts and our minds as we build community, as we meet together, and as we learn to love like we were first loved by Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time to open up your word. God, thank you that you have built us for community, that through the work of Jesus, we are no longer separated or isolated from you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross for your perfect life, for your death, and for your resurrection that defeated death. May we be people who build intentional community, who fight against isolation, who don't allow shame to push us into isolation, but be willing to be vulnerable and to share, to ask for prayer, and to encourage each other and spur one another on, and to also receive that from our fellow believers. 
Thank you, Lord, for this time. In your name I pray. Amen.